The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. For those of you who don't know, uh, I'm Kyle, lead pastor here at the church. This is my wonderful wife, Carly, and this is her favourite thing to do, is to be up the front. Uh, we had a, a few questions come through uh, this week um, about, about marriage and stuff, and the one of the most uh, common questions that we got was actually around what it's like to be married to me. <laughs> was, I was like, okay, I don't know what, what you all think of me, but I'm starting to get a bit of an idea. Um, so what we're going to do today, we're going to basically just have a bit of a, a running conversation. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about some stuff in terms of before marriage, because we've had a few questions come through uh, regarding stuff before you get married, and then we're going to spend some time looking at... Um, some questions around marriage. And so really, we've just got two scriptures that are going to be on the screen. No real PowerPoint. We're sorry that this screen isn't working for you today. We've had some tech issues uh, this morning. Um, but if you're thinking of questions throughout this or other questions that we've had, send them through to that, that text that came up. That'll get promoted this week again. And then next week, we'll also do some live questions. So you can ask whether Jesus can build a rock so heavy that even he can't lift it. You can ask all sorts of questions uh, that you want to do. So, uh, babe, let's start with some wisdom before marriage. Uh, we've been married how long? Uh, since 2002, whatever that is. 19 years, babe. We just, had our, we just had our anniversary June 22nd. It was our 19th year anniversary. It went really well. As you can tell, it was very special to her. Uh, she really enjoyed One it. One year, two years, 19 years. It's just, uh, you know. <laughs> I'm so, not very, uh, what's the word? Yeah, that's not. That's She's not very I'm sentimental. Not, not she sentimental. does love me. I do, but I'm not sentimental. She does. Um, so we had a few questions that came through just regarding um, stuff before marriage. So I thought what we might do is we might look at, if we can put up this particular passage from Genesis uh, 2, 24 to 25. This is probably the most repeated uh, scripture in the Bible about marriage. So, and there's lots in here. It's really, really helpful um, if you can think through it and unpack it. Um, I'll read it to you. It says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were unashamed. Paul repeats this. Jesus repeats this. This seems to be like the clear model that God has for, for marriage. And so we've said throughout this series that we want to think clearly, we want to follow joyfully, and we want to act compassionately. So, for, for those of you in the room, maybe you're here and you're not a Christian. For those of us who are Christian, we want to think clearly. We want to let this book, which we believe is inspired by God, to direct us and guide us. And so when it comes to marriage, um, we want to follow God's pattern because God's design isn't just that's how it is, but that's what's going to produce joy and goodness. Um, and so, babe, as we, you know, as we kind of just explore this for, for a little while, what sort of things have jumped out to you, uh, particularly about that, uh, that verse? Uh, probably for me, it's the um, leaving part at mm -hmm. the start. So, a uh, man shall leave his father and mother. Because um, that was probably the, the thing that was challenging for us in the beginning, is understanding what that actually means, because... You, uh, both of us lived at home before we got married. So then it was kind of like, oh, it's obvious you actually physically leave and get married and live somewhere else. But it's more than that, the, uh, the leaving of the, the parent-child parent relationship and what that means. That's, that was quite hard for me particularly to navigate in the beginning because I'm quite close with my mum. So understanding what that meant um, in the sense that I, I've come out from under my parents' care and protection and now entering a relationship, a marriage relationship with a husband and now that becomes something new and now there's a different um, head protection care there um, and then I don't rely on my parents for the same stuff that I did and working through that, that was we had to have a few conversations about what that meant and how much time I was spending with my mum once we got married and all those sort of things and you know you still take advice and it's it's not like you completely leave and cut off but it's it was it was hard for me to navigate what that meant so that was that's probably the biggest for me hmm. thing out of that yeah the, the Hebrew word there to leave is azav 
And most people think it just means geographically leaving. But if you think about it in a historical Hebrew context, because inheritance was passed down particularly, primarily to the man, the man wouldn't actually leave the home. He would live nearby the home because they've still got to kind of keep working the farm and the family business in order to eventually inherit it. So the word leave in Hebrew there is more than this geographical leaving. Uh, Some of you have done premarital with us and we've kind of got you to think through like how far away from mum and dad should you live so that they can't just drop in whenever they want. Uh, Some of you, that's why you're in Queensland. so there's a sense in which there's, this, there's a shift in priority. Um, most of the marriage counselling uh, that I've done, this comes up in everybody's like, what are your main arguments about? Most of the time they're like, well, this is how I was raised. This is how we used to do it. Therefore, and you get two people from two different family backgrounds who come together. And the idea is we're supposed to leave that. The actual word literally means to forsake, which means... You say, that's no longer our primary authority, which is telling us how to do this new thing. This becomes the priority and the authority now on how we do this thing. So my parents, for example, one of our big, I would say, conflicts was around communication. Um, As you can tell, I'm not a quiet person. I'm not a shy person. I quite like verbal fights. I don't think I've lost one. And even if I have, I've never admitted it to myself. Um, I like to verbal communicate, like just on the fly, I'll say what I feel. Um, That was because that's how I grew up in a home. Our whole family would sit around, we'd yell at each other, say all our feelings, and then we're fine, we'd eat and good. Carly's family was different. Her family were very, very quiet. She actually, due to some of the things in her upbringing, didn't get to see a lot of conflict between mum and dad, and then she married Conflict King. Year one, year two, we had to kind of go, well, what does communication in a marriage look like that's not based on how my parents did it or your parents did it, but actually how Scripture says it should be done? This is one of the hardest things to do. So for those of you who are not yet married, you have to, in one sense, try and come in empty with a clean slate, which says, hey, listen, we're not going to go off what our culture, what our family, what our ethnicity says but on what this is. And where this is clear, we want to obey joyfully. So, yeah, we had a lot of things there, I think, with our leaving. That probably took us a while, hey? Um, That was big. Uh, One thing that stands out to me is probably verse, uh, where it says, uh, verse 25, and the man and his wife were both naked and unashamed. Um, Funny, that. (laughs) When I I first read that, I was like, I like this book. I could could probably get along with reading this Christian book. Um, but as I explored it, like obviously it means, again, it means more than just a physical thing, right? This is a sense in where God has this design for a man and a woman to come together and have a place and have a relationship where they can be fully known. And God knows when he writes this that those men and women are going to be sinful, broken, fully known, yet fully loved. And I can say it's been an absolute joy to have a wife who would continually fully love me. (laughs) Because the more she knew me, the more she sees the real me, the broken me. Before before you're married, you can put on the best. I put on the best for a while, didn't I? Did I do okay with the best? Yeah, obviously. Married you. (laughs) Hooked me in. Yeah. You put on your best, but then once you get, you get married and you spend, you know, all of a sudden you start living together and after a while you drop your guard and you start being the real you and your sinfulness and your brokenness comes out and you, want, you don't want to stay there, you want to grow, but you need someone who is going to still love you, give you grace, forgive you, walk with you. Um, And so I love the fact that God's end goal is this place for a joyful, protected, safe relationship. For me, that's really cool. And I I think I've found that. Some of you know my story of having a mental and emotional breakdown in 2014. Um, I, for nine months, couldn't work. Spent most of my time in a bedroom. 
Um, and I had a spouse who fully loved me. And I felt that in a way that I couldn't get, you know. And so I'm grateful. If, if you're picking up, I'm just trying to get points all day. This is, this is the goal. Um, anything else for you? No, not really. Okay. Great. I'm going to go off. Uh, there's a few questions around this. So I'm going to go off. The first word says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother. That word therefore in other versions of the Bible will say for this reason. What it's saying is, now that a suitable companion has been found, therefore, we're going to go this way. And I just want to throw out a couple of questions to you. For those who aren't married, are single, what would you say are some things that are really, really important in terms of finding a suitable partner? You have to like them. That's really important. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You have to think about um, who they are now and if they never change, will you be happy married to that person? Because often I've had conversations with people and they'll say, you know, I don't like this about them but I just know that they'll change it and blah, 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 blah. And, And what if that never happens? So... Even though you're always hopeful and you know that in a Christian marriage you are always on a journey to change, you still have to think that I have to be satisfied being married to this person the way they are if nothing ever changes for the rest of our lives. Um, And then the other or the most important thing is obviously that they are walking with God um, and established in a church. Um, That's really important because that's the... The big foundation and then everything else, you know, comes from that. So that, that's mm. the keys. Mm. Yeah, I think if you, if you weren't here last week, I encourage you to go listen to the podcast from last week. We kind of did some stuff around raising Christian adults. But the consistent thing between sort of Rosie, Barn and Dan and then the Freemans was the fact that they had a community. A Christian community that was around them that just kept coming up in all of their. It's a sense that we are broken, we fall short, we're not perfect parents, we're not perfect couples. We need the church. We need, and not just the church in terms of rock up on a Sunday and go home. We need relationships with people that are also like minded Christians who can help us and speak into us. Uh, I think that's. Uh, I think that's huge. Uh, another thing for me is that hold fast word, that, that word there is devark. Um, I think this is something really missing currently in our, in our culture. We, we understand in our culture, we understand contract. We do not understand covenant. I mean, it's not a word that we use. There's lots of Christian words and Christian phrases that are in movies, in ordinary things. Um, redemption, like we use that in a particular way, but that's, that's in pop culture all over the place. Uh, covenant, we don't hear anywhere. The difference between a contract and a covenant is a contract is based on mutual distrust. I don't trust that you can hold the end of your deal, so we're going to get this thing on paper so that when you break the deal, which I know you will, I've got an out. Covenant, which is what holding fast is talking about, is based on mutual commitment, which is even when you don't hold the end of your deal, I'm all in. I'm holding fast to you. It's, and literally, the, the Hebrew word here, it's a, it's a continuous word. It's a constantly holding fast, which means this, marriage, isn't easy. Because there are many days when we're like, I'm not holding fast. I'm running fast. I'm out the door fast. But there is this sense in which, with the church community, with brothers and sisters with you, that journeying together, of clinging to one another, holding fast and keeping that covenant uh, is amazing. Um, all right, let's go do some marriage ones. Now, the uh, most common question was, um, how good is it to be married to Kylam? Uh, I threw that one in. Was that, yeah, I was going to say, I is threw that, that the wording in. of the question? <laughs> that wasn't in there. Um, an interesting question that came through was, what is it like being married to a pastor? It's really hard <laughs> being married to a pastor, particularly in the early days um, when we first took over the church uh, because that brings a whole another set of things, starting a church afresh or whatever. So that's totally different as well. But um, 
being married to a pastor, it's not a nine-to-five job. You all would understand that. There's a lot of nights. There's a lot of late nights. There could be, you know, crises in the middle of the night. Um, so it's not, it's not a, you know, it, in terms of hours, it's not something you can say, oh, you're just going to be home for dinner these days. It just doesn't work like that. It's not even a, you know, five-day-a-week job. Last year, Kylan worked six days a week pretty much the whole year. Um, and it's just sometimes it's just season and whatever, the way it is. Um, one of the things I love about being married to a pastor is that there is that continual uh, growth push because his job is to pastor a church, to, to shepherd a flock. So obviously um, for him, he has to be under that continual growth. He's always learning about God, about people, about himself, about family, about everything because he has to, right? It's like when you're teaching something. You have to understand what it is to teach it and it's the same here. So in that respect, it's awesome because he's always growing, always changing, always learning and always pushing us to be uh, a better family as well. So that part is amazing. Sometimes it's hard and you think, did you just lay off? I just don't want to hear this week. <laughs> Can I just suck this week? It's, please, I don't want to hear. Um, but that part of it is awesome. So I don't worry about, you know, not growing. I know he's always going to be growing and so am I along that ride with him. So that's great. Um, but it is, it is demanding. It's, it's not just physically demanding, but it's more so uh, emotionally and mentally. It's a draining job. Some days he comes home and he is so fatigued. He has to just go and lie down for an hour because he has just been with people one after the other. And it's, it's different people. It's different things going on. And it's not always bad stuff, but it's just stuff, right? So it is a, um, a mentally exhausting and draining job. Um, and I'm, I'm not a, uh, I'm not the type of person who needs him there all the time. So for him, when he comes home, if he needs a break, that's fine. I, I don't, that, that, that doesn't bother me. And, and I don't mind that he's out, you know, sometimes he's out a lot in some seasons and other seasons not. I, I can cope with that because my personality, I'm, I'm quite independent with, to a fault. Um, so I quite like my own company and just being, you know, doing my own thing. Um, so personality-wise, it works, it works well for us, mm. but it is hard. It is hard and it is I, – I see the, the toll that sometimes it takes on him. Um, so my job is to support him as much as I can, take, take the burden off and, you know, give him a hug when he comes in, which is not my natural instinct, anyone who I knows me. I love <laughs> Kiss? Can we add a kiss? <laughs> so let's just take it one step at a yeah. time. All right. Um, you know, sometimes I can tell he's just had a hard day and he needs a hug. Even the kids will say, why are you hugging? <laughs> <laughs> we're not, not, we're, neither we're not of us bad. are super affectionate. Yeah. So. <laughs> it's just funny, right? Um, yeah, so it is, it, it is hard being married to a pastor. You, um, I wouldn't enter into pastoring lightly. That's all I'd say about that. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, another one was, uh, what are some things that, w- that we've done to help keep our marriage strong whilst having a tribe of children? Yeah, so as Kylam's said, we're not, we're not overly affectionate. We don't need each other all the time. We're not that kind of couple, and some couples are, and that's, that's fine. That's just not who we are. So we don't need date night every week or anything like that. In fact, I would gag at that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we haven't had a date night in 17 years. <laughs> But we slot in these times throughout the year and it might just be two or three times a year where we might go away for a weekend or it might even just be, you know, one night going out for dinner or whatever. We, we try and take advantage of um, times where, you know, someone's having a birthday, you know, 40th or whatever and we'll go, oh, we'll get the kids babysat and we'll go out and that will become our date night. We talk in the car on the way there and the way back. We take, you know, all those little opportunities. When the kids were really young, we used to um, we used to have a dog that we would walk every day. And the kids were we had three kids in the prams, you know, two in the front and one on a skateboard thing on the back. We'd walk the dog together and we'd use that time, we'd talk. 
So we'd do that a couple of times a week whenever we could together. Often it was me because he was out, but when we could do that together, it was usually a few times. Um, that, that was the time that we would use. So we just look for ways just to use the time that we do have when we're doing other things. If we're going in the car somewhere, we talk then. So it's not like we have to have separate, special, set-aside date time, but we just use what we've got because mm. we're there together anyway. So, mm. yeah. Yeah, something I, th- I would say that I wasn't good at early on, um, we have very, very different clocks. So Carly's a bit of a morning person, I'm a night owl. So early on in our marriage, we wouldn't actually go to bed at the same time a lot of the times. So I'd come and sort of, you know, say goodnight and then spend another few hours out. Um, and what I learned over the years of not doing that was we were missing even just pillow talk. Um, and so something I think has probably grown over the last sort of few years is just talking more, you know, in bed when the kids are down. Um, and I'll try hard to go to sleep and it takes a long time for me to sleep and I just watch her snoring and dribbling and it's just, um, you know, just oh, dang it, I'm losing points. I need to hang on. Um, Trying to be funny. (laughs) Yeah, so there's probably, our communication I think has gotten better and I think this is for anyone here who's, who is married and you struggle with this, it's, it's really is just working out what works for you. There isn't a set thing. So for some of you, you need a date night regularly. That's what you need. So you need to get your kids sat and go out. Others, you know, um, you need like a Monday night touch base. This is our night when we sit down, we plan our week, we get things, you know, in order. Everybody's different. So I would encourage you to work what work out what that is. Don't just say this is me and that's it. You've got to both find little ways to compromise uh, and and work that out. Um, all right. So this is probably the most common question that came through, but was uh, how does complementarity sort of work? Uh, in our marriage. So what I might do, I'll read Ephesians 5, explain what that word means, um, and then we'll go through some things. So uh, on the screen should come up Ephesians 5, um, 21. It says this, it says, Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So this is Paul speaking to the Ephesians church. This is him speaking about the actual church. So he's just finished talking about who God is and what he's done. Um, the gospel stuff's really, really clear. Now he's moving into like his specific application on how you should live your life as a Christian. He's just finished talking about being filled with the Spirit, not drunk with wine. And a part of someone who is a Christian that has been filled with the Spirit of God is this sense of humility and willing to submit one to another. And so 21 is submitting one to another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife. Even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its saviour. Now the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to everything in, uh, in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendour without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Verse 32, this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she represents her husband. So, Sorry, respects her husband. Um, so complementarity or the word complementarian uh, essentially is a view within Christian theology which says that we, we believe that men and women are equal in value, dignity and worth. Once we get married, that equality remains, but there is a distinction in function and role. So the, the opposite term is egalitarian. So, and a lot of Christians will hold to this view, a lot of churches hold to this view, that when you get married, there is no distinction between the role of a husband or a wife. There is nobody who is the head or, or not. And we would say as a church, no, we think there is something here that the Bible says, which is beautiful, and we want to think clearly, and we want to follow joyfully, and then we want to act compassionately. Part of the issue is we live in a culture where these words mean things that the Bible's words don't mean. So when we hear the word submit or when we hear the word head, 
we bring in cultural context to what those words mean and we go, we don't like. Because in our context, in the Australian context, to submit means to be subordinate and a doormat. And that's not what it means. And to be the head means to be the boss. And you better have lunch ready for me in the morning, which I'm still waiting for. But, you know, uh, it's probably happened. It's probably happened a couple of times. Yeah, it's pretty good. Um, So we as a church hold that we believe that there is a distinction and a distinction in function. And that function is not to hurt families or hurt marriages or hurt individuals, but it's actually a good thing which produces good fruit in marriage. So... All right, you want me to go there? Okay, so a couple of launching points. Notice the verse 32 where it says, This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. This is really important because all of us in this room are told that marriage is for us. That you are to find the person who is going to make you happy to fulfill your shortfalls and needs, to complete you. And the Bible would say, actually, there's some truth to that, but the primary reason of male, female, husband, wife is actually to reflect and image God. You see that in Genesis 1.26, where he makes them male and female in his image. And so what Paul says is, hey, this marriage thing isn't even just about marriage, which is why it doesn't continue when we get to heaven. So even if you're here and you're single and you never get married, there is a sense in which you won't experience something on this earth. But you ultimately will not miss out because it is only a picture. It is only a shadow of something that is to come, which is supposed to be a picture of the relationship between Jesus Christ and his church. And then it outlines how does that actually... Look, C.S. Lewis uh, put it this way. He took this actually from Jonathan Edwards, but it says, Marriage is the ray... God's love is the sun. Marriage is the symbol. God's love is the reality. Marriage is the stream, but God's love is the ocean. And so the way that God has designed this thing is that we are to look at this male, female, husband, wife, and not just see the humanness, but Godness. What does this relationship tell us about God? Um which takes the emphasis off. Now, it is supposed to be joyful. God doesn't want you to be miserable. But there is a beauty in it, which is reflecting something about God. This is why we would say we, we don't want to flatten this thing out where there is no distinction between male and female. We do want to say that these are binary because the woman reflects something that a man will never reflect and a man will reflect something that a woman will never reflect And the purpose of being male and female is not just for us. It's actually to show what God looks like. And so when you see a male, you're like, oh, there's something about God there that's amazing. And when you see a female, you're like, there's something about God there that's amazing. And then that gets even expanded further in that uh, marriage uh, relationship. What else for you, Bob? You had some good stuff that you we were talking about the other day, just in terms of um, yeah. I just think that that part is the important part to start with because I think we overlook it a lot, and we we know it, but we don't really think about it a lot. We know that oh yeah, marriage is about Jesus in the church, but that's sort of as far as we go. And I think. Really, we don't spend enough time thinking about what that really means um, because everything else then comes from that. Our, our marriages should reflect the relationship that Jesus has, desires with his church. Um, and if we think about that and how much Jesus loves his church and how much we're supposed to, as a church, love him, then that really puts a whole different spin on what marriage should look like. It's not just about me and him. Mm. Um, it's about so much more than that and so I think we can't gloss over that I think that's really important to to think about Um, and as Kylum said the 
the words submit and head, they often have that negative connotation that, that we think of in our, in our culture. But um, yeah, I don't want to look at that. I want to look back at that. I don't read Greek stuff. You do that Sorry. part. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I just went back to the scripture. Sorry. Um, so, uh, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. I, I just think that um, it's easy to get caught up in the fact that it's like, oh, this seems to be negative. But it's really not. If we think about how we submit when we come to God and we give our lives to him, how we submit and we lay our life down and say, God, take my life, it's yours. Real, that's what, and, and we're giving our life to a father who is um, perfect and he, who wants the best for us and who loves us and he's our creator. Now, obviously, our husbands aren't the same as that, but it's that sort of image that when we give our lives and submit to our husbands, they're supposed to treat us as God would treat us, you know. They're supposed to come and, and care for us and look after us and respect us and, and help us to grow. Um, that's, that's the picture. So I think it's important that we... Like often when we read it, we'll read the wives submit to your own husbands and then it's as to the Lord. And, and, but I think the as to the Lord part's really important because that gives us the picture of what it should look like when we submit. Mm-hmm. And then the same for the, the husband's part. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify her. That is huge. That is a huge responsibility that mm. I'm really glad I don't have. Mm. Um, so... I just think that that picture of Christ in the church is so important that we understand that. And if we don't really get what that means, then we need to go and we need to look. You need to go and study it and look what, what does that really mean? What is that picture of Christ in the church? When, when, God's coming, when Christ is coming back for his church, what does he want it to look like? Like that's, that's the picture that we're supposed to show here. Um, yeah. yeah um, I think often... Uh, particularly some of the females in the room, you probably, you feel like the the submission bit is hard for you and that the headship is easy for the guy because it just means he's the boss. <laughs> Here's how sin works. Sin moves towards either selfish aggression or selfish passivity. And so some men in culture have gone, yeah, I'm the man. And I'm in charge. I want dinner. That's how you, they always talk to you. You do this stuff. This, this is how all men talk. This is how, when I get home, my voice changes. Um, but actually, I'm, I'm yet to meet a man who, when I walk through what this headship means, actually wants to do it. They actually move towards selfish passivity, which is, uh-uh, I can't do that. I can't lay my life down for my wife like that. I can't bring the word and be the one who's coming spiritually into the home and leading it in that sense of trying to encourage her and equip her. And so most actual men will move towards passivity when it comes to this part because they're like, this is too much of a responsibility on me. I don't want that. Um, And I always take them back to the garden where Adam and Eve both sin, but God first comes to the man and goes, Adam, where are you? And that scares guys. Most guys are like, I don't want God to come and ask how my family unit's going. I want him to come and ask her. And I sit behind her. Um, And so I think even that, I think, is a cultural thing where we think it's just easy. And men, I want to encourage you. This is hard. really is hard. It's a lot. But before this, we are told that we have been filled with the Spirit of God, which means we can be good heads in our home where we lay our lives down for our wives, for our children, and we can love and serve them. I love some of the language here where it says that uh, he might sanctify her. For me, part of my job of being a headship isn't to say all the things that we must do and this is how everything operates. It's actually to come around and go, what does my wife need me to be in order that she would become more like Christ? That's my job. That's what I'm going to focus on. And sometimes she needs this, sometimes she needs that. But either way, my job is to be like Christ who's trying to grow and equip. Um, so I think for me, like that's, yeah, it's scary. The other thing is that I think the reason that this is so hard 
for us um, to live out is because we're full of sin, right? We have a sinful disposition. And this, this is opposite to sin. It's natural for us not to want to submit, whether it's at the workplace, whatever it is, whether it's following the speed limit when you're driving. You know, it's natural for a lot of us to go, no, I don't want to do that. I don't, I don't feel like doing that. So this comes against that sinful nature and that's what makes it hard because our sinful nature doesn't want to do what we're told, whether it's from the Bible or, you know, well, that's where it should be from, right? I don't want to do that. But there are some things that it's easy for us not to do. And I was talking to Colin about this this morning. It's easy for us to read the do not murder in the Ten Commandments and go, yeah, that's okay. I don't actually feel like I want to murder anyone. So it's all good. I can do that. that I'm okay with that. Because for most people in the world, their sinful disposition is not to want to commit murder. But wives submit to your husbands. Husbands love your wives. Our sinful disposition most often will go, no, no thanks. I don't want to do that. But it's black and white, just like do not murder is in the, in the Bible. So the thing that makes it hard is, is our sin. So when we understand that it's not that God's asking us to do something hard, or he's asking us to do something hard here, but it's not that he's asking us to do something that we can't do. And it's not that it's not black and white, because often the other thing that we do is go, ah, oh, I don't know that that's what he's really saying. Um, no, it's pretty clear that that's what he's saying. That's what it says. We just don't want to do it because our sinful nature doesn't want to do it. It doesn't want to submit to that. We don't want to submit to God. That's why we don't want to submit to our husbands or that's why our husbands don't want to love us because they don't want to submit to God either, right? So all I'm trying to say is that it's our sinful nature that makes this hard. It's not meant to be easy. Christian life isn't easy. It's hard because mm. it's going against that sinful nature. Yeah. Um, so let's talk maybe about these couple of words, what they mean, um, and then maybe practically, like how does this actually look for us? So the word submit there is hupotasso. So something really, really important for all, everybody to realize is that word submit is a, a voluntary action. It is not something that is supposed to, you've seen me do this before, it's not supposed to be something that is demanded upon and put down on the person. It's not an employee to a boss saying, mate, I've paid you the money, do the job. It's supposed to be a voluntary coming under. Then, the husband to love his wife like Christ loved the church is the exact same thing. It's to come under and die and lift her up. So the goal of marriage is not this and putting down. The goal is let's get under each other and continually lift each other and you see this in Ephesians, uh, you see this in Genesis 3 and 4 where it talks about that struggle for power. And this is what sin does with some of this stuff is it starts to cling and we push down. Rather, the picture is for us to come under one another. So the fight in marriage should not be, are you serving me? The fight in marriage is, no, let me do that. No, let me do that. No, I want to do that for you. And when you get to that point, it's beautiful and it's awesome. It's actually... When you understand that and when you start to live that, that, live that out, it's actually not as hard as it seems um, because you, you realise you're kind of fitting, fitting into a groove like, oh, oh, this is what it's like. You know when you just find that spot where something just works? Like when you go for a run and you just hit that pace that's just perfect and, oh, okay, this is, this is good. That's what this feels like. So I think often because we don't understand what it means... It's hard. It's harder than it has to be because we don't have that correct understanding. When we understand, and I, th I love that picture of coming under and bringing up, when, when, we f when we sit in that spot, it's actually it's easier than what it sounds like. Mm. Um, of course, it's going to be hard, but it just it feels right. I don't know how else to describe it. And often when I'm asked the question about what does it mean, like complementarian, and, and how does that work, and blah, 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 it actually just feels right. That's, that's how I've described it to people because when you do it right, it just is right. <laughs> and we also know what it feels like to not be doing it right. Yeah. And it's horrible. <laughs> yeah, it is. And it's constant conflict. Um, sometimes it's more me, sometimes it's more Carly, and it's just tension, tension, tension. 
Um, okay, so what does this actually look like uh, in our marriage? So, um, like, do you do all the housework? And no. I, I just go and work and come home? Is that, is that what we mean? No, Fletcher does most of it now. Yeah, <laughs> loving kids. Um, what does this actually look like, like on the ground? It's, it's like it's a shared thing, right? So it's, uh, he can see I'm stressed and I'm busy and I've got marking to do at work or something and so he'll do, carry more of the load. Or I see he's got a, la- a couple of late nights, he's not going to be home for dinner. Normally he does the cleaning up after dinner. But he's not going to be home, I'll do it. So it's, it's about, and I, I guess when you've been married for a while, there's a lot of that stuff you don't talk about, it just happens because you can see, you know, it's all that non-verbal, I, I know he's going to be home late so I'll just do that. He doesn't have to ask me. Um, and that just has come over time. But it's, it's just it's that sharing. And like I said, sometimes it's more that way and sometimes it's more that way, depending on what's going on. Um, but there's that sort of shared understanding of we, we just share whatever roles in terms of, like you're saying, housework, for example, or whatever. It just gets shared. And when we're doing devotions with the kids, some nights he'll do it and some nights I'll do it, depending on what's going on. So does that sort of answer? Is that yep. what you're asking for? Um, and the word head is kafail, which means there's a sense of responsibility and authority over the home. Um, does that mean you just do everything I say because I'm in charge? Like, I know you haven't. Uh, we've, we've had many, many discussions where I've suggested things like, uh-uh. Uh, but just in general, like, that's typically what people think. It's just, I'm the boss. You do, you do what you're told. No, I, I think of head as responsibility because so, I understand what that means. And so I think before God, he's responsible for everything that goes on in our household, where our kids are, where I am spiritually and whatever else and I don't want that responsibility I'm not meant to have that responsibility so I'm quite happy for him to have that um, and I'll just do my bit that I'm supposed to do Um, which is what but I don't feel I don't feel like he's a you know over the top coming in telling me what to do type of because he's not because he knows that's not what that means as well so we don't is that what you mean? Yeah, and have there been times when we've disagreed? A lot, yeah. <laughs> um, how do we work out what we're going to do in those situations where I think something, you think something else? Uh, okay, so whatever it might be, whether it's something to do with the kids or whatever, it's you just have to go away and pray about it most of the time and spend time... Working it, working it out on our own because we know, okay, we disagree. So no, no amount of talking is probably going to solve this. Definitely not my point of view because the more he talks, the more I shut down. Um, he's learnt that now. So he knows, say your piece, leave it. We'll go away. We'll come back in a few days and then we'll see you again if we've got, you know, some other whatever. Come to an understanding or... I see your way now, I didn't see that before or whatever it might be. So, but at the end of the day, um, if it's, say it's something to do with the kids, um, because that's probably the easiest example to think of, at the end of the day, if we can't agree, then it should be up to him because he will carry the, the responsibility of that and if that's the wrong decision, that falls on him, not, not on me, and I'll support him in that. But that doesn't happen very often. And because it doesn't happen very often, um, I'm okay with that. Uh, yeah, so... And that, those decisions that we're making are not They're things, big ones. They're big ones, but they're not ones that would harm the children. Like if I was to say something that would be one against God, against Scripture, one that would actually harm the children, you would not submit? No. No, definitely would not. Yeah. We haven't had anything. We haven't had anything like that. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's really important because often what happens, particularly in conservative viewpoints of this, um, it really falls under traditionalism rather than biblicism. So it's a sense of we we come from a traditional sense, which just says, "Well, the man says, she does." And I have seen countless times where there has been a woman in a home where she is being emotionally, spiritually, relationally abused. And feels like she must just continually submit to her husband. But notice it says, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. So ladies, I just want to encourage you. Never submit to your husband in any area that is against the Bible. 
do not sin against the Lord. If there is harm, do not sin against God. Do not put yourself in that place. Come and speak with elders and other people in the church who can get you support. And men, I want to encourage you that we are not to use this as a power play. Because the Bible tells us that we are to lay our lives down for our wives. So we're supposed to love and serve and cherish and care. And it's so important. And that, I think, helps a spouse kind of go, well, he does love me. He does care for me. That makes it so much easier for her to want to come and serve and vice versa. When I'm feeling that Carly's got my back, like it, I can tell you that, that 2014 year when she carried everything in that home and loved me and served me, that just made me want to love and serve her even more. And this is the beauty of how this thing works, is as you continue to love and serve each other, it actually becomes so much easier. But you've got to know your word too. So if you don't know what the word says about what God says about you and what you should and shouldn't be doing, etc., whatever, how you should be living, you're not going to know whether your husband's treating you badly or not. You're not going to know necessarily whether it's biblical or not. You've got to read your word because it's in there. And that's, and that's often why when we disagree on something and we go away and we think about it and we pray about it, we read the word, that, that it gives us time for those things to come in that we've read before. Oh, that's right, I remember. It says somewhere in the Bible this. So then we'll talk about that. So that, it's really, really important because that is... That is our manual, you know, that's all in there. But if you don't know it, then you're really going to struggle. Let me just finish with this. Um, Again, in that traditional view of marriage, he works, she stays at home. Um, Is that how things should be? Is Is that a good thing? Is that something that we don't have to do? How does that function? Um, Like, how have we done that? How have we sort of worked out sort of who works, who doesn't work. Um. Oh, it's different for everyone. I don't, there's no right or wrong in that as long as uh, you're both comfortable with whoever's, you know, whatever, except that the man should be the one that works. I'm talking about from a woman's point of view, whether the woman works or not depends on whatever you decide as long as it doesn't... Okay, let me start here. The man should be the breadwinner. That's his responsibility. His responsibility is to provide for the wife and the family. So if he's not doing that, he needs to do that. In terms of the wife, if she wants to work, she can work. If, she has, if you have kids and she wants to stay home with the kids, she should be able to do that. If she wants to go to work, she should be able to do that, except if it is at the detriment then of the family. That's mm-hmm. my opinion. Mm-hmm. That's what I believe. Yeah, no, yeah. So that's why I'm saying it's different for different families. But I think you have to look at, you know, if the relationship here starts to suffer, and if the relationship with your kids starts to suffer, then you've got to reevaluate and look at that. Yeah. 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 I I would I would get bored and lazy if I stayed at home with the kids full time. I would just squander my time doing nothing, and I would be very ineffective at anything so for me I need to work a bit to keep myself motivated because then I go oh I've only got this much time now because I've got to work so I've got to get these things done and and whatever but if I didn't do that I would stay home every day and I'd be quite happy not to see anyone and just stay (laughs) home and that's not good for me so I know that for me I actually need to work a bit but it's the balance right so that's for us but he needs to work. He's the breadwinner. And there are seasons where, you know, he's out of work and so then I would have to work and, and those things are seasons and, and all of that. But if, if the husband is um, putting off those responsibilities and not wanting to work, then there's issues there. Mm. Yeah, that's probably how I'd throw it. Uh, we've always had in our home, in our marriage, as best we could, is I'm going to work as hard and as much as I can to free you so that you don't ever have to work. And then if you desire to work and you're going to do that, let's talk about that, let's pray about that, and let's see what's good for our our family home. What I would like to throw out um, is that culturally, many of you you ladies are going to get taught that if you just stay at home with your kids, that that's not a good thing. 
the Bible will actually say, no, that's a wonderful thing. If you can do that and you want to do that, celebrate that. Don't let culture make you feel bad because you want to stay home and sacrifice material things and career to love and serve and disciple children. And I would say the same the other way too because often culture says the other thing. You've had kids, you've got to go back to work, you've got to work. And I think that that is also a pressure that is wrong, you know. Women don't have to go back to work. If you financially don't have to um, and you don't want to, then, you know, I would say don't. Don't let culture say, oh, well, that's what you do. You have a kid and then after a year you go back to work and, you know, and then you have another one and you have this much time. There's no set rules, but um, I think sometimes we feel as women too like, oh, well, everyone else seems to be going back to work. Like, oh, I probably should go back to work and I think that's an, a, a bad pressure as well from mm. that. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And I think it's really important that as Christians we hold to this. And what does this tell us? And so we shouldn't put pressure on each other either way. If you want to go and explore a career and do some things, great. Work that out in a way that's good for your family, good for your children. If it's greed and materialism that is driving that, that's not good. If it's to have a bigger house and a better car and a more this, the motivation for doing those things are not healthy. Whereas for us, we've kind of worked out what's good for us and how many hours and what works, and we've kind of, we keep wrestling with that depending on the kids' ages. And then from there, we make a prayerful decision as to what's, what's good. Um, we would be far materially better off if Carly would go and work full-time because she'd earn more than me. She tells me this all the time. Um, bring in more money. We could do more holidays, do more things. But that's not what's best for our marriage and our children and our home. So we sacrifice certain things and that's better and we do it joyfully and it's a good thing it's not really a sacrifice when you know it's how it's meant to be you know like it's just a lot of the time that stuff's just material stuff right and that stuff doesn't last anyway so yeah cool well we're gonna leave it there next week um take that phone number there's gonna be um that'll come up on socials this week if you've got any questions related to anything in this series we're gonna have a few of us sort of just do some Q&A to finish that off next week. And then the week after that, we're kicking off Second Timothy. So there are journals out there that you can take for free. Uh, we were going to charge you $5, but we've decided, hey, we love you. So grab one on your way out. They're going to be there each week. And that's just something you can take notes while we go through Second Timothy. So uh, do you want to pray? And then we'll go. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Centre Church located in North Lake. We exist to make, mature and multiply disciples in communities that depend upon, declare and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecenterchurch.com.au. We provide our podcasts free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others, but please do not edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission from the leadership of LCC.